All right, team, here we are, Monday, bright and fresh as a daisy, right? <laughs> yeah, right, Mondays. Mondays, Mondays. Actually, today was a really good day. Uh, I started a new shift. I got to start the morning shift instead of the late mid-morning shift, and I'm so happy because my day's over. It's 3.30 in the afternoon, and my day is over, and I get to move on with my life, and I love it. I love it. And the day didn't drag its heels so hard because I didn't have to spend all late afternoon. Oh, so much nicer. Anyway, I hope you all are having wonderful, splendid Mondays and that you all get to sh change to the shift chest. Sh this is a real promising start. The shift change that you deserve and need. Um, I don't know why, you know, it's so hard in our current society to get shifts that are actually at appropriate times of day for people who need them. Like, I clearly need to be working from early morning to mid-afternoon, and then I need to stop because after, like, two, my brain starts to decline dramatically, um, which means podcasts are going to be harder, but I don't know why people can't just, you know, work the hours that work for them and... Uh, Anyway, that's a different story. Back in Jane Austen's era, that was, that was something different. There were gentlemen of leisure who got to run their business affairs, well, still during office hours, largely. Although office hours weren't quite as intensely regimented. Um, I forgot what I was, so was going to say. But we are back at the story. Uh, Mr. Willoughby had his appearance and so bizarre still reeling from that uh, but Eleanor is awaiting now the arrival of Colonel Brandon and her mother who must remind you are both arriving hoping that they'll be in time to see Marianne not die or no arriving to hope that they're there in time for her death so they can say goodbye um yeah <laughs> pretty pretty horrible thing there um so, uh, yeah, that, but we know Marianne has turned a corner, so Eleanor is going to be able to give them a relief, and so that'll be nice. And we'd better go ahead and get started with that in Chapter 9. for some time after he left her, for some time even after the sound of his carriage had died away, remained too much oppressed by a crowd of ideas, widely differing in themselves, but of which sadness was a general result, and to think even of her sister. Willoughby, he whom only half hour ago she had abhorred as the most worthless of men, Willoughby, who in spite of all his faults, excited a degree of commiseration for the sufferings produced by them which made her think of him now as separated forever from her family with a tenderness, a regret, rather in proportion as she soon acknowledged within herself to his wishes than to her his merits. She felt that his influence over her mind was heightened by circumstances which ought not to reason, ought not in reason to have weight, that of a person of uncommon attraction, of an open, affectionate, and lively manner which it was no merit to possess, and by that still ardent love for Marianne, which was not even innocent to indulge. But she felt that it was too, it was so, so long before she could feel his influence less. Um, very interesting, very rational observation, of course, from our dear Eleanor. We often do give credit 
to people we find appealing the credits that they don't deserve. And Willoughby's probably been coasting on a lot of that in his life. Um, yeah. So she's admitting that he's got an undue influence over her because he's attractive and fun to be around. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting way she realized that. When at last she returned to the unconscious Marianne, she found her just awakening, refreshed by so long and sweet a sleep to the extent of her hopes. Eleanor's heart was full. The past, the present, and the future, Willoughby's visit and Marianne's safety, and her mother's expected arrival, threw her altogether into an agitation of spirits which kept off every indication of fatigue, and made her only fearful of betraying herself to her sister. Short was the time, however, in which that fear could affect her, for within the half an hour after Willoughby's leaving the house, she was again called downstairs by the sound of another carriage. Eager to save her mother from unnecessary moments' horrible suspense, she ran immediately into the hall and reached the outward door just in time to receive and support her as she entered it. Mrs. Dashwood, whose terror as they drew near the house had produced an almost conviction of Marianne's being no more, had no voice to inquire after her, no voice even for Eleanor, but she, waiting neither for salutation nor inquiry, gave the instant joyful relief and her mother, catching it with all her usual warmth, was in a moment as much overcome by her happiness as she had been before by her fears. She was supported into the drawing-room between her daughter and friend, and there, shedding tears of joy, though unable to speak, embraced Eleanor again and again, turning from her at intervals to press Colonel Brandon's hand with a look that spoke her gratitude and spoke her conviction of his sharing with herself the bliss of the moment. He shared it, however, in silence even greater than her own." as soon as mrs dashwood had recovered herself to see marianne was her first desire and the two minutes within two minutes she was brought to her beloved child rendered dearer to her ever, than ever by absence unhappiness and danger eleanor's delight as she saw what she felt in each meeting was only checked by the apprehension of its robbing marianne of further sleep but mrs dashwood could be but mrs dashwood could be calmed even prudent when the life of the child was at stake and Marianne, satisfied in knowing that her mother was near her, and conscious of being too weak for conversation, submitted readily to the silence and quiet prescribed by every nurse around her. Mrs. Dashwood would, would sit up with her all night, and Eleanor, in complacence with her mother's entreaty, went to bed. But the rest, which one night entirely sleepless, and many hours most wearing, wearing anxiety seemed to make some requisite, was kept off by an irritation of spirits. Willoughby, poor Willoughby, as she was now allowed herself to call him, was constantly in her thoughts. She would not have heard his vindication for the world, and now blamed and acquitted herself for having judged him so harshly before. But her promise of relating it to her sister was inver invariably painful. She dreaded the performance of it, dreaded what effect might be on Marianne, and doubted whether after such an explanation she could ever be happy with another, and for a moment wished Willoughby a widower." then remembering colonel brandon reproved herself and felt that his sufferings and his consistency far more than his rivals the reward of her sister was due and wished anything rather than mrs willoughby's death the shock of colonel brandon's errand to barton had been too much had been much softened to mrs dashwood by her own previous alarm for so great was her uneasiness about marianne that she had already determined to set out for cleveland on that very day without waiting for any further intelligence and so far had been settled in her journey before his arrival that the Careys were expected at that very moment to fetch Margaret away, as her mother was unwilling to take her where there might be infection. Marianne continued to mend every day, 
and the brilliant cheerfulness of Mrs. Dashwood's looks and spirits proved her to be, as she repeatedly declared herself, one of the happiest women in the world. Eleanor could not hear the declaration, nor witness the proofs, without sometimes wondering to whether her mother ever recollected Edward. But Mrs. Dashwood, turning to the temperature account of her own disappointment which Eleanor had set her, was led away by the exuberance of her joy to think only that which would increase it. Marianne was restored to her from danger, which, as she now began to feel, her own mistaken judgment in encouraging the unfortunate attachment to Willoughby had contributed to place her. And in the recovery, she had not another source of joy unthought of by Eleanor. It was thus imparted to her as soon as any opportunity of private conference between them occurred. Alas, we are alone, my Eleanor. You do not yet know my happiness. Colonel Brandon loves Marianne. He has told me so himself. Her daughter, turns by feelings both pleased, pained, surprised, and not surprised, was all silent attention. You are never like me, dear Eleanor, or I should wonder at your composure now. Had I sat down and wished for any possible good in my family, I should have fixed on Colonel Brandon's marrying one of you as the object most desirable, and I believe Marianne will be the most happiest with him of the two. Eleanor was half inclined to ask for reason for thinking so, because it satisfied that none founded on an impartial consideration of their age, characters, or feelings could be given. But her other mother must always be carried away by her imagination on any increasing subject, and therefore, instead of inquiry, she passed it off with a smile. He opened the whole of his heart to me yesterday as we travelled. It came out quite unawares, quite undesignedly. I, you may well believe, could talk of nothing but my child. He could not conceal his distress. I saw that it equalled my own, and he, perhaps thinking it a mere friendship as the world now goes, would not justify so warm a sympathy, or rather not thinking at all, I suppose, giving way to irresistible feelings, made me acquainted with his earnest, tender, constant affection for Marianne. He has always loved her, my Eleanor, ever since his first moment of seeing her. Here, however, Eleanor perceived not in the language and the professions of Colonel Brandon, but the natural embellishments of her mother's active fantasy, which fashioned every delightful thing to her as it chose. His regard for her, infinitely surpassing anything more than Willoughby ever felt or feigned, as much more warm, as sincere or constant, which she ever care to call it, has subsisted throughout the knowledge of my dear Aunt Marianne's unhappy possession for that worthless young man, and without selfishness, without encouraging a hope, could he have seen her happy with another, such a noble mind, such openness, such sincerity, no one can be deceived in him. Colonel Brandon's care... Oh. No, wrong voice. Colonel Brandon's character, said Eleanor, as an excellent man is well established. I know it is, replied her mother seriously, or after such warning, I should be the last to encourage his affection, or even pleased to see by it. But his coming for me as he did with such a active, such ready friendship is enough to prove him one of the world's most worthiest of men. His character, however, answered Eleanor, does not rest on one act of kindness to which his affection for Marianne, where humanity out of the case, would have prompted him. To Mrs. Jennings, to the Middletons, he has long and intimately been known. They equally love and respect him, and even my own knowledge of him, though I am lately acquired, is very considerable. And so highly do I value and esteem him, that if Marianne can be happy with him, I shall be as ready as yourself to think our connection the greatest blessing in the world." What answer did you give him? Did you allow him to talk to Hope? 
Oh, my love, I could not then talk of hope to him or myself. Marianne at that moment could be dying. But he did not ask for hope or encouragement. His was an involuntary confidence, an irrepressible effusion of a soothing friend, not an application to a parent. Yet after a time I did say, for at first I was quite overcome, that if she lived, as I trusted she might, my greatest happiness would lie in promoting their marriage. And since our arrival, since our delightful secrecy, I have repeated it to him more fully, and given him every encouragement in my power. Time, a very little time, I will tell him, will do everything. Marianne's heart is not to be wasted forever on a man such as Willoughby. His own merits must soon secure it. To judge from the colonel's spirits, however, you have not yet made him equally sanguine. No, he thinks Marianne's affection too deeply rooted for any change in it under a great length of time, and even supposing her heart to be free again, is too diffident of himself to believe that with such a diffident difference of age and disposition he could ever attach her. There, however, he is quite mistaken. His age is only so much beyond hers as to be an advantage, as to make his character and principles fixed and his disposition, I am well convinced, is exactly the very one to make your sister happy, and his person, too, his manners, too, are so all in his favor. My partiality does not blind me. He is certainly not so handsome as Willoughby. But at the same time, there is always something much more pleasing in his countenance. There was always something, if you remember, in Willoughby's eyes at times, which I did not like. Eleanor could not remember it, but her mother, without waiting for her assent, continued. And his manners, the colonel's manners, are not only more pleasing to me than Willoughby's were, but they are of a kind that I will know to be more solidly attaching to Marianne. Their gentleness, their genuine attention to other people, their manly, unstudied simplicity is much more in accordance with her real disposition than the liveliness, often artificial, of the ill-timed of the other. I am very sure myself that had Willoughby turned out to be really as amiable, had he proved himself the contrary, Marianne would never have been happy with him, as she would be with Colonel Brandon. She paused. Her daughter could not quite agree with her, but her dissent was not heard, and therefore gave no offence. At Delaford she will be in very easy distance of me, added Mrs. Dashwood. Even if I remain at Barton, and in all probability, for I hear it's a large village, indeed there must be some hot small house or cottage close by that would suit us quite as well as our present situation poor eleanor here was a new scheme for getting her to delaford but her spirit was stubborn his fortune too for at my time of life you know anybody cares about that though i neither know nor desire to know what it really is i am sure it must be a good one here they were interrupted by the entrance of a third person and eleanor withdrew to think it over in private and to wish success to her friend and yet in wishing it, feel a pang for Willoughby. End chapter 9. All right. Well, you know, I don't really... I think I understand why Eleanor is having this... I feel sorry for Willoughby thing. But at the same time, I don't get it. Like we talked about last time, I just... In my modern way, I cannot forgive Willoughby. He has committed an ultimate sin in my book. And I can't forgive him. Um, Eleanor can. And I think that just has to be 
put down to a um and time era consideration unless one of you writes in or messages into me and you're like no no it's just you elizabeth and pitying willoughby is totally understandable um i think it is amusing how mama is all you know oh i always kind of distrusted willoughby and oh yeah well she's gonna be happier with brandon than she ever would have been with willoughby had he turned out to not be nice and you know, like, I, that is funny, but none of that, like, inspires me to go, aw, poor Willoughby. Like, I have zero of that. I know, I guess I'm a merciless person. Maybe you guys have to tell me, am I just merciless? Anyway, uh, Colonel Brandon adorably tells Mrs. Dashwood that he loves Marianne. Um, poor man, he probably was suffering greatly and just confessed, you know, blurted it out, it kind of sounds like. And yeah, so I feel sorry for him. That must have been embarrassing. And then now to have Mrs. Dash would be like, oh yes, you're gonna get married. It'll be fine. Have my child. And he's like, uh, yeah, I don't think she'd have me. Yeah, poor, poor Brandon. Um, and Marianne would be so mad if she knew that her mom was all, like, giving her away to Brandon. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I feel really sorry for Eleanor, this talk of her mom, like, oh, we'll move over to be live near Delaford. And Eleanor's like, yeah, great. Put me in the same parish with Edward and Lucy Steele. That's nice. Thanks, Mom. You know, I would, that would just be, that would be really hard. And... Her mom is so full of joy and happiness about the one child. She has, she has, and she even says she doesn't like to, you know, it's easier to focus on the happy thing and not think about all the other stuff. And so she's not thinking about how that would blow for Eleanor. Um, just enjoying how happy it would make her and Marianne. So, anyway, uh, that was that chapter. Marianne is now out of danger. And they should be making their way back to Barton soon. Um, next chapter is a bit longer. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a long one. It's one. Well, one. I keep two, three, four, five. Okay. I guess it is a long chapter. So uh, I don't think. It's, it's not more than 10 pages though. So it's not going to have to do it over a split chapter. But um yeah, so next chapter is a long one, and then, like, we are in, I think, I think we're in the, yeah, we, we are in the home stretch here, my friends. There are only, um, XIV, what, that's 14. There are only 14 chapters in volume three, and we just finished chapter nine. So we are in the home stretch here, my friends, to the end of the book. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. And we will find out what happens. Um, like I said, I'm going to start doing the podcast probably about three days a week just because of my own schedule changes and stuff. So um, don't know what three days that'll be. Uh, I think uh, whim is going to be the deciding factor. Uh, so we'll see where whim leaves us. But I hope you all are having a lovely Monday. Bye for now.